And welcome, welcome, welcome to The Worst Critics. I am Noah Davis. And I'm John Pina. And we're here to talk about movies, music, TV, and whatever else we want to talk about. Uh, welcome to episode 26, I think, which is actually half a year. So congratulations to us. Yeah, thank you. If you could applaud silently, that'd be great. <laughs> we don't need the audience hearing that. Uh, let's get into the news like we always do. Some interesting news up first. We have Vin Diesel has been cast to star in the new Rock'em Sock'em Robots movie. Uh, this is from Hasbro. Hasbro has been trying to make new movies, a cinematic universe. They've been trying for like 10 years now. Um, the old Rock'em Sock'em universe. <laughs> well, I, I, I think if you remember correctly, Real Steel, that was a movie with Hugh Jackman. Uh -huh. yeah, 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 that apparently was a Rock'em Sock'em Robot screenplay. But they couldn't get the rights. Hasbro uh, just denied the rights. Yeah. So they created Real Steel. And um, we got that movie instead. So now we're getting another one. Uh, maybe Real Steel will be introduced into the canon of the Rock'em Sock'em universe. Uh, I, I want to know how that's played out. Because, like, how can they do Real Steel differently? Like, Real Steel felt like a generic, lame waste of Rock'em Sock'em. Mm -hmm. And we already now have that in, like, recent history as being made. <laughs> okay, well, what about Vin Diesel voices one of the Rock'em Sock'em robots? How about what that? Like, like, Iron Giant style. What if it's, like... Oh. Maybe maybe I save that for us to work on. <laughs> okay, but... <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Gotta keep the good ideas to yourself. Well, so, you know, like, iRobot, right? Yeah. Or robots. No, no, no. Robots. Robin sorry. Williams. One, yes, the Robin Williams one. So it's like that, right? The whole world is basically like a human world with robots. And then this is just the life of like a boxer or like an athlete robot. There we go. And it's like it's like it's like Rocky with robots. With robots, yeah. I'm into it. See? There you go. Ben Diesel. Easy win right there. Okay, uh moving on. Joe Toslin, Toslim, I did not look up how to pronounce this. I'm usually good about it. Cancelled. I'm usually pretty good about it. Um, Joe Toslin, who is playing Sub-Zero in the upcoming Mortal Kombat movie, apparently has signed on to do five possible movies. So, I guess they have big plans, like always. They can't help themselves. Um, I blame Marvel for this. I blame Disney and Marvel for this just signing actors to 20 movies before the first ones even come out. Apparently it's Taslam, by the way. Taslam, Joe Taslam. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can't imagine Mortal Kombat getting five movies. I, I'm curious to see if it even gets a sequel. So <laughs> five just seems like a, a big ask, if you ask me. Yeah, I mean, do we know the numbers on this one yet? Apparently, it's made eleven million international so far, and that's all we got. That's I don't know really, if that's really, really bad. If that's counting China, that's really bad. But I don't know if that's Is counting China, China playing Mortal Kombat. I don't know. That's what I was wondering. I think again. I think Mortal Kombat's canceled there for like zombies. They don't like scary. zombies a lot. Well, like yeah, like uh, what's the word? The same kind of graphical shit that video games get shut down for. It's not necessarily zombies, but it's like certain depictions of mm. gore that's not good for... Distasteful. The general public. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so 11 million overseas. I guess we'll see how that plays out. 
It's going to be on HBO Max tomorrow, or today, if you're listening to it, the day this is uploaded. But moving on, Netflix has announced that Adam Sandler's new movie, Spaceman, has casted Carey Mulligan and Paul Dano alongside Adam Sandler. It is not a comedy. It's going to be a, as far as I can tell, a full-fledged drama. It's about an astronaut sent to find a mysterious dust. I don't know what is that it, means. Isn't Paul Dano, or whatever the hell's name is, Dano, isn't he doing um, Batman, the new one? Yes, yes, I believe so. Cool. I'm pretty sure that was him. He's in Swiss Army Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's him. Little Miss Sunshine. I'm pretty sure he's in the new Batman. You don't quote me on that, but... You know, he might be. I know Colin Farrell is. It's a Google search away. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, unless you want to talk about Adam Sandler's new drama, I'm just going to move on to some more. I mean, I'm, I'm happy it's a drama. I'm happy it's something different. I really did like Uncut Gems. I thought that was a really good movie. Yeah, but this is uh, Adam Sandler finance. But, and... Yes, but this is an Adam Sandler Netflix movie. I and not a this is movie a happy that Adam Madison. Sandler. Yeah, which, again, means that it's going to be shit. It's going to be as high budget without spending it on anything outside of acting that it could possibly be. Right. Well, <laughs> so, I, don't, I don't know. A space setting might give them. No. Some, oh, okay. No. Okay. Okay. You're right. You're right. It's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. Oh, yeah. It's going to be like interstellar. It's going to be. Just no, I wasn't saying that. <laughs> Imagine the Martian, but Adam Sandler instead of Matt Damon. <laughs> also, real quick, because I said the words. Have you recently rewatched Interstellar? No, like not really. maybe last five years. Uh, five years, probably. Actually, no, probably not. Because the docking scene is probably like four years ago now that I watched it, but the docking scene is yeah. really bad. All the other shots look great, but the docking scene, ugh. I for- it was like my one gripe. I was like, man, how did I love this movie as much as I did? Yeah, yeah, just that's it. Okay, yeah, I'll remember that <laughs> next time I watch Interstellar, which is probably not going to be for a minute. Dude, I'm going to pick it next week. Oh God, like I'd rather you pick Tenet or something because I haven't seen <laughs> yeah. that yet. <laughs> I'm not going to pick. I'm not going to. All right, so some more Netflix news. Uh, this is kind of an update to last week. According to some leaked data, the Sony Netflix deal that came out of uh, last week was mm-hmm. valued at $1 billion, which is a good chunk of change. But also, it turns out that Sony makes up uh, a quarter of Starz's streaming library. So, really? without Sony, Starz and Lionsgate, I believe that's the company that owns uh, Starz, are going to be a little thin on their movie library, losing 25% come next year when this deal finally takes place. And then another story, I guess, connected to this, it turns out Disney has now made a deal with Sony to get the Spider-Verse or whatever. The Spider-Sony-Verse movies onto Disney Plus after the Netflix deal. They are literally five years deep in a streaming deals. Wait. So, Netflix is purchasing sony's stuff for about five years no 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 just for a year i believe or a year Uh, and a half maybe two and then disney's gonna swoop in just for the spider-verse stuff 
after the Netflix after contract that, up. Yeah, yeah, for the next three years. Until, I think, 2026, I think that's what I read. Um, that's, I, streaming service contracts are crazy. I did not realize they took this amount of planning, especially nowadays, I guess, when you have... I mean, it totally makes sense, especially when they're trying to build, again, cinematic universes as opposed to, you know, just pumping out random movies. Like, it, I mean, it does make sense. Like, God knows how long, like, when they wrote up... You know, after Iron Man, when they were like, wow, this could be really successful. Like, let's redo superheroes. Let's do Marvel. Let's do the whole thing. And then they decided to do the Avengers. Like, that whole phase one planning, and we're now in, like, phase four. Like, they thought of everything that happened up till now. Like, then. (laughs) Which begs the question, how does the Spider-Verse, the Sony-Verse... Jump into it, and who knows? No one knows. How does that throw into Disney Plus? I mean, that new, uh, new Jared Leto Morpheus movie... Is that really going to be added to Disney Plus in three years? Uh, I just don't see that happening. I mean, maybe Disney Plus will have changed uh, landscapes Wait. or changed their whole huh? audience. What? Jared Little what movie? Morpheus. Or Morbius. Morbius. It's a vampire. He's a villain from Spider-Man. Well, is it? Is it? Is, I mean, Sony's... Oh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Morbius is in is going to be a part of the Venom Spider Man universe, but not really a part of the MCU. But after this happens in oh, a couple okay, of years, okay. okay, I remember this Morbius. We talked about it on this. Yeah, uh, I mean, twenty twenty two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're getting a movie based on Silk and Madam Web. There's a whole bunch of bullshit that Sony has announced the last year or so. Um, yeah, I'm just curious to see how that's going to mesh with Disney Plus's audience and library. But speaking of Disney Plus shows, the new Secret Invasion Marvel show has announced that they've cast, or not announced, I don't know if it's like super official, but apparently Olivia Coleman and Amelia Clark, um, Olivia Coleman from The Crown, Amelia Clark from Game of Thrones, they have been cast in the show. I guess this has She's a huge budget. Denarius. She's playing Daenerys again? Yeah. <laughs> it's Secret Invasion, whatever the fuck that is. Uh, it's a storyline where the scrolls pretend to be people and do stuff. It's going to tie into Captain Marvel movies. You know. <laughs> you put me to sleep. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, well, let's move on. Uh, more Disney news. They are making a Jim Henson biopic titled The Muppet Man. It's going to be produced by Disney and his daughter, Lisa Henson, along with the Henson Company. Um, kind of forget the exact, the Jim Henson Company. So we'll see that. And I guess biopics are just <clears throat> the new fad now. I'm pretty sure there was a Kiss biopic announced this week, but I didn't care enough to put it on here. Because, whatever, you know, Kiss is alright. And, John, I'm not sure if you knew, but apparently we're getting a Texas Chainsaw Massacre 9. You know, 9. <laughs> is, is horror, in the sense of, like, slasher films, is it capable of innovation at all? No. No, it's not. No, I, I don't know if horror is, like, is capable of it. No, horror, there's been some good ones. Like, the Jordan Peele stuff when it was first happening. Get Out was the new The new It, even though it was a remake, was really, like, as far as, like, the CG goes for a horror film, only, like, believable horror movie I'd seen in a while. That one, 
where it's like hereditary with the girl that's like I don't love clicking and shit. I didn't say I, I didn't say I love it, but it was different. I suppose. Um, yeah, but okay. I mean, if you go, oh, it's demons and scary stuff. Oh, it's horror. Uh. But like, <laughs> I think that's belittling the movie a little bit for its sense. Like, it felt really high quality, unlike most, you know. Yeah, but is that innovation? Ten million dollar movies. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying the innovation has to be in the plot. I'm just mm. saying the innovation has to exist at some point. For Hereditary specifically, I felt like it was more in like the direction and like the uh, sequencing. Like, uh, I mean, the whole actually it was actually a really good marketing technique too. So like the advertisements made it seem as though this little girl was going to be the central like pivotal character. In a yep. lot of ways, the character was, but obviously the actress wasn't because spoilers, she dies in the first 10 minutes. Right. And her head gets knocked off so abruptly, literally just pops off her body that you're like, what the fuck is this movie? <laughs> so even though it wasn't like, you know, some life-changing movie, it was really, really interesting to watch because it just like, Every preconceived notion, it just like spun on its head, which was really nice. Oh. So even though the plot was pretty basic, I mean, it's like, oh, possession, demons, the whole nine yards. Well, you'll be happy to know that this Texas Chainsaw Massacre 9 is going to take the route of the new Halloween reboot, where it's going to be a direct sequel to the first one and ignore all those others. Innovation. So, yeah. <laughs> you movies and then you forget you ever made them. <laughs> exactly. That's called innovation, okay? Obviously, you get it. You understand? Um, that's supposed to come out this year. I don't know how fast it takes to make horror movies, but... Really fast if you do them shittily. <laughs> yeah, definitely not long. Alright, uh, moving on. Amazon Prime... Uh, you know what? I don't know if I've covered this piece of news. I read it, and I really wasn't sure. But like Amazon Prime is fast-tracking a spin-off series <clears throat> to The Boys. Um, the new series is set in the same universe. Apparently, it, sorry, the description is it explores the lives of a new crop of young, hormonal, contentious soups as they vie for contracts in the biggest city across the world while studying at a Vought-sponsored uh, college for powerful individuals. Interesting. I guess. Um, I mean, please, please don't oversaturate the boys. It's good enough for me. I, I don't think... I think the boys' universe is good enough to explore, as I've mentioned, why I like the boys, because there's real stakes. The Marvel Universe needs to rein itself in. It's not that interesting to explore every side character. So, I mean, so this begs the question as to why we have to explore a random side character in the boys. I mean, I guess I'm not I'm against saying... spinoffs, but how often do they work out? I, I need a real statistic I, I in genuinely, front of me. I genuinely, <laughs> off the top of my head, I go, name a spinoff. Is it more successful than the original? Just um, one. I couldn't either. You know, uh, <laughs> Fraser is a spinoff of Cheers, I think. Was Fraser actually better? I don't know. I think people, smart people. I mean, which one's like raved about more smart people, quote unquote? <laughs> yeah. Well, they, they're convinced that their sitcom is smarter than other people's sitcoms, so they like Frasier I guess I guess the... Was it Mork and Indy? Yeah, yeah, that was... What was that Happy Days spinoff? That wasn't more popular than Happy Days. Uh, I don't know, bro. I'm not sure if any spinoff has It literally ever... revolutionized TV, bro. 
literally. I suppose so, but I think that's more of a technical standpoint and not an actual spinoff being successful standpoint. Yeah, whatever. Amazon Prime apparently has all the money in the world because Reuters has revealed the total budget of the new Lord of the Rings show to be around $465 million. Um, that is for one season. So, I think it's 10 episodes, $46 million every episode, if you want to split it down to episode count or on average. That's insane to me. There's absolutely no reason that should cost $465 million, right? No, for sure. That's egregious. That's that's more than the original trilogy cost. Like, <laughs> the Lord of the Rings films were way less of a budget than this one season show we're getting. Um, you know, I'm assuming there's going to be a second season. So, who knows Basically- if this... I don't want yeah. to say that the amount of money should make me put more hype into it or like put more of my own expectations on it. But yeah, I, I, yeah for sure, like 465 million. And it, is it definitively like Lord of the Rings or is it like. No, it's going post- to be Second Age. So, like, after Frodo gets rid of the ring? No, 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 no. Like thousands of years before. Oh, okay. Yeah, I believe Lord of the Rings is third age. So this is second age. I, um, I've, I've never read any Tolkien. I couldn't tell you. I, I I really think this is some of the stuffs covered in the Cimmerillion or whatnot. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not a super expert, especially on the Cimmerillion and all that extra background information. But yeah, it's supposed to be a thousand years before. Where the rings actually happens, I don't know, man. I I think that's such a stupid idea because what if this just doesn't turn out? Yeah, like, like it just ends in production. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or or it just fails. Maybe everybody hates it. Maybe it's the new season eight of Game of Thrones. Everyone's expectations are going to be set so high, and if this fails. I feel as though Amazon Prime's uh, TV division might get shuttered. Yeah, implode. <laughs> if if this one project fails, I believe this whole whole endeavor, TV studio endeavor, original content, whatnot, will just go down the drain because that's just a big chunk of change right there. Well, and so you know they have two seasons ordered, right? Yeah, right. And so the first season's supposed to come out this year. Uh huh. Supposed to. We'll so I'm see like, about that. they only resumed production in September. Like, could they really shoot everything between September and like September? You know what I mean? Like, could they actually do it all in a year and get it all edited and stuff? Like, I guess you know. I, yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about it. The the show is just begging more questions rather than answering any of them. I I guess we'll wait for that first trailer, and we'll see the the aesthetic they choose. Because they might, you know, go the Hobbit aesthetic, and that might turn some people off from ever watching the show. So, we'll definitely see how that goes. Alright, Paramount Plus, or sorry, Paramount has announced that for Paramount Plus, they are rebooting the Fairly Odd Parents. I I believe you remember this show? Oh, oh, but wait a minute, it's gonna be live action. 
let's not go. <laughs> uh, yeah, I why figured I'd they, tell you that after. Why do they make children's TV live action? It literally takes all the fun out of the TV show. Yes, it does. Minus, minus a few Dan Schneider TV shows. And I mean, like, literally two. Drake and Josh and iCarly. Every other children's TV show that was live action, I hated. Right. You know, I mean, like, I've watched episodes of Hannah Montana. I didn't enjoy myself watching it. But, like, I can think of, just off the top of my head, Fairly Odd Parents, Invader Zim. Like, I don't know, Samurai Jack was necessarily made for kids, but it was on kids' I mean, programming. Yeah, I mean, you know it definitely I mean? was. Yeah. yeah, like, there were just so many good animated TV shows that would have objectively been worse with live action. And actually, they did Family Odd Parents, or Fairly Odd Parents, like weird cross episodes with like Jimmy Neutron. You know what I'm talking about? Well, no, no, no. They they had like a live action one, maybe with like Drake and Josh or something. Maybe I, you know, I couldn't tell you. I really. But it was terrible. I remember they they already tested like Fairly Odd Parents live action, and it's god awful. Yeah, uh, I mean, you know, I guess we'll see. I don't believe in doing this at all because, as you were saying. The live action shows don't really do anything for people outside the age group, whereas I think animated shows can. Yeah, they stay. They stay relevant. Yeah, they stay. You can watch it with your kids down the line, whereas live action shows are going to be obviously dated. They're going to have dated storylines or just feel super old. But yeah, uh, animation... the way they move, talk, dress is going to look dated, and. There's a factor of, especially like a children's comedy, like let alone all comedy, but the subset specifically of like target audiences, we'll say like seven to fourteen, like yeah, yeah, that's probably it. it. Like there's an element of like just dumb, like slapstick or like physical comedy where literally someone slips and falls or someone gets turned into a fucking banana or whatever. You know what I mean? And especially with fucking uh, Cosmo and Wanda, like there's literally so many gags of. Cosmo being an idiot, literally doing something with magic, yeah. and then something awful happening, just like in five seconds, like just a quick, not even a relevant side story. So I'm like, how are you going to do that in live action and make me care the same? Like, go fuck yourself. <laughs> There's no way. You know what? You're, I mean, I totally thought this was an awful idea, but when you talk about that... <laughs> exactly. When you talk about that, their budget would have to be absolutely immense if they had constant you know CG transfer. Exactly. You <laughs> know it's not going to be. They are going to push this off to the side. Is it Cosmo and Wanda as people, or is it Cosmo and Wanda as like little CG floating fairies? Who knows? I would assume it's Cosmo and Wanda as CG. All the fairy shit, you know, keep that animated CG. I would assume if you want to save money and not go bankrupt <laughs> financing this right. awful idea. I would assume that's how you do it. Because, like you said, it's some of the physical gags of them transforming would just be just impossible, live action. Just totally impossible to have that uh, viable or realistic animation. Oh, and, okay, so oh, yep. I-, I googled it. It wasn't a Drake and Josh crossover. It was a live action for TV movie. There we go. It just had Drake Bell playing grown-up Tinny Turner. Oh. Well, I think that was an in-joke. I think that was kind of ironic, right? And it was the same. They had, like, a Christmas special, too. Okay, maybe not. You know what? <laughs> He's had an awesome career, okay? 
I, I hope he's doing really well at being a uh, Mexican pop singer. I think that's what he does. He makes Spanish. Did you just say just because he sings in Spanish? No, no, no. He's literally marketed towards Mexico. Like he goes mm-hmm. to concerts in Mexico, not not Spain. Um, yeah. So speaking of Paramount making some awful decisions, we're getting a new Last Airbender, Avatar: The Last Airbender show mm-hmm. on YouTube. So, I don't know why. Um, I didn't think YouTube original or putting your original programming on YouTube ever worked out. Not sure it has. Not even for YouTube. <laughs> um, it's just live a, action or cartoon. No, it's a cartoon. I think I think it's about the Earth Nation. That's what I think the tease was. It was a uh, in celebration of Earth Day. So. Hmm. Yeah, I guess we'll see about that. I know they're doing that whole, they're doing they're doing a whole interconnected universe, and then we have that. Was Legends of Korra a bigger show than Airbender was? No, no. We'll see. Legend of Korra is a little more mature, I believe. I haven't watched it all. It's a little more mature, and when it came out, Nickelodeon, I think it was near the end of the second season. So I think it only had two seasons, but near the end of the second one. Nickelodeon literally delayed episodes. They would say, oh, it's not coming on tonight. Here's a rerun. It's coming on next week. For no reason, one could presume. Um, there was there was no defining factor. They just said, hey, it's not coming out this week. So you know the viewership was non-existent. And maybe that's Nickelodeon wanted it to be like that. Who knows? But it was yeah. not as successful at all. And, I mean, we are getting that whole universe of movies, and then we're getting that Netflix movie that comes out next year that people are already bashing on. You know, it's going to be great for Avatar. Yeah, so YouTube Earth Nation spinoff hype. Yep. <laughs> okay, uh, Dave Chappelle has partnered with Talib Kweli and Yassine Bey, and they are creating the Midnight Miracle for Luminary, which yep. I did not know was a podcast company as a uh, podcaster you'd think i'd know these things obviously <laughs> yeah uh yeah podcasting network i think is the term Whatever. that people use but, <laughs> yeah I, I i swear to god i think it's like the second biggest behind um fucking barstool which is like the sports one but they also did like call me by or not call me by your name no uh call her daddy was gigantic oh, yeah, 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 yeah. until that scandal like, literally or something yeah yeah Larger than life, that one. Um, then there's Girls Gonna Fight, it's a whole thing. But yeah, uh, keep up on the podcast news, bro. <laughs> I'll uh, try. Yeah, they have like Russell Brands, they have Trevor Noah's, um, and now they'll have Dave Chappelle's. Uh, and I guess it's supposed to be like, it's a pretty interesting concept as far as what it's going to be, um, the pitches. And the pitches is that it's a conversation, but it's a curated conversation. So it's got select soundtracks for each episode, sometimes like new original music composed by, assumingly, Dave Chappelle and their friends. And of course, Dave Chappelle like usually had people like Most Def and um, Common and people like that make music for The Chappelle Show. And so I think in a similar vein, it's going to be basically like The Chappelle Show, but a podcast, because um, there's going to be like interspersed skits in between like relevant points of conversation so it's going to have like 
like a formal director and a formal script and basically be everything that Chappelle show was, it seems, but as a podcast. And I really don't know what that means. It's like, really, it's hard for me to wrap my head around, but I was like, that's so interesting. And I'll give it a listen for sure. Reading that description, it seemed as if it was a limited time thing. As if they had already uh, done it all and it was over and here you go, we produced it. Right. Um, Did you see the one? It's uh, it's called like The Outsiders or something like that, but it's the Bruce Springsteen Obama one. You know, I think I saw a Spotify ad. It's on on Spotify, yeah. Yeah. And it's literally a limited time conversation that, you know, they filmed... uh, or maybe it's not. Or maybe they're still releasing episodes. But there was like four or five episodes out, but I'm looking at it right now, and they've released four episodes since then. So yeah, I guess maybe they've either recorded a lot of their conversations over time, because I guess they are pretty good friends, um, or they keep getting back in the studio when there's time, and right. they keep making new episodes. So I take it back. I don't know. I don't know how it's going to be done. It might be seasons. It might be really weekly. I don't know. Also, um, did has most deaf completely dropped the most deaf name? See, just Yasin Bay now. Um, uh-huh. I, you know, I, I just I feel as though I used to read articles with his just most deaf. I guess it's like The Rock, you know, when or he tried Dino. to just be Dwayne Johnson and not The Rock. You got to kind of drop the moniker at some point in time, or embrace right. it. You know, I, I guess The Rock really never gave it up. Um, right. Yeah, I was just wondering about that. And our last... Yeah, 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 so now he's Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Right, yeah. You never call him, you never call him <laughs> The Rock and you don't call him Dwayne Johnson. You're like, Dwayne Johnson? I've never even heard of that. He's everything, <laughs> dude. All right. Our last piece of movie and TV news is uh, pretty relevant to this podcast. Queeby Originals are now under the name Roku Originals. Uh, we talked about Roku buying the library of Queeby shows and programs out a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. maybe a month or two ago. And get the Quibi merch at our store. Yep. <laughs> in, uh, <all> months. <laughs> and all right. now now they are Roku originals. So that new season of Reno nine one one, Chrissy's Court, all those classics. Now it's Classic. Roku. Yep. Classic. I'm not sure how they're putting this out. Um maybe if you have a Roku TV you just have these. I, I have no idea if there's a Roku app just for streaming things like this. Genuinely could take I've only ever used Roku's at like Airbnbs. Hmm. Well, I, I just never really remember seeing a an app just specifically for watching things. But uh yeah, that's the last piece of movie T V news. Word. If you want to um, move on to albums. Yeah, so update. Uh we are restructuring the way that we do these so that it makes way more sense. Uh so Basically, previously I was doing not the upcoming Friday of quote-unquote this week, but the following one, a.k.a. next week. Uh, so, like, eight days from the day that we take these, which doesn't make sense. I'll just do the ones one day away, and we'll talk about the same news of the week that week. And then we will have listened to it the previous week if there was anything worth listening to. Then we'll talk about the following days the next week. Makes more sense when I say it out loud and give dates, but today's the 22nd. I'm going to be talking about releases on the 23rd. Boom. Uh, so we have, uh, spoiler alert, Lil Yachty's Michigan Boat Boy. Uh, oh, yeah. We didn't mention, uh, but is now available, uh, I guess, at midnight tonight. Uh, his new fucking 
what's the word mixtape not a real album so i don't know if it'll be on spotify or uh or if it's gonna be on that piff no cap uh that seems like a move that he might make um but yeah uh then we got the peter frampton band uh just everyone's parents are gonna love and i will not listen to uh, you should tell tell your mom about it see if she See if she'll she listen to it. Probably already saved the day, dude. She probably already saved the day. So I'm saying, get her review. You could, you should read the review next week. You know, <laughs> I'll do. I'll, I'll have her type me up one. Yeah. I'll read it out loud. Uh, and then we got the Money Bag Yo's uh, "Against His Pain," Motorhead's live album. Really, just sad that there's nothing great here. Um, uh, there was one more. Oh yeah, uh, the uh, uh, the uh, Noah Cyrus and PJ Harding collab. Uh, comes out tomorrow. Is that a full album, or is that just like some change. project EP? LP, I think it's an whatever. EP. I could be wrong. Um, let me double check that because the wiki article doesn't actually link me to anything. Um, yeah, it's an EP. Cool. Can't wait to listen to those like two or three songs. <laughs> it's called a project. Yeah. Uh. Da, da, da. You know, there's always next week for a good album to come out. Or, you know, for an actual anticipated yeah, I album. Know, I don't know how many songs it's going to be. It's looking like it's maybe five, but I'm not getting a consistent answer. But yeah, you know, uh, it, it might be okay. I, I'm hopeful that it's okay. I don't know That's who what, the other person is. Me neither, and there's no link on the wiki article. I can't, oh, I don't know who that oh. person is. But they have a song already together that they've just, they've been dropping a couple singles off this thing. One's called Dear August. Um and again, I don't know if the dude's just a producer or what. You know, I, I literally could not tell you. Totally. Uh, is that all He's the got... album releases? Here, wait. Oh, wait. Spotify, you saved me. Haha. He's a, a singer, songwriter, and producer. But I guess he stopped singing to just fully focus on songwriting and producing. Makes sense. And he helps write for, holy fuck, a bunch of people. Um, He's a behind-the-scenes kind of guy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, which is probably why we haven't heard of him. Um, biggest person I see on this list is Lil Nas X. So, <laughs> I mean, take that with what you will. I guess. Um, but yeah, that's that's it for albums, unfortunately. Uh, maybe listen to Peter Frampton, question mark, but... Mm. Probably just a little yachty if I yeah. think radar's it. a little sparse. Oh, actually I talked about Lilith Czar also. That uh, chick who goes by Lilith Czar and she's like the singer mm-hmm. of the band that's in Sound of Metal. Yeah. Any yeah, recollection yeah, totally. of that? Yeah, Juliet, yeah. Juliet Sims is her name. Um and actually, I actually did kind of want to check that out just because it was kinda of interesting. I went, huh? People really make music like that? Yeah, it's surprising, you know. People just kinda of make what they want. It's crazy. <laughs> Well, no, I'm just saying, so, like, she established herself as, like, the lead singer of a band that was, like, on the Warped Tour, so she'd been doing this for, like, a while, and then, like, the very last year of the Warped Tour, her band got, like, its biggest placement, and then the Warped Tour died, and rock music kind of died, and then she was kind of left in a weird little nowhere, I don't know if the band had a falling out or anything, but then she just decided to go solo, and instead of just calling her act her name, as most solo artists do, <laughs> uh, she said, I'm gonna come up with a cool name. And she's now Lilith Czar. It's, it is a cool name. I, it's I, really cool. You know, I can't stress that enough. It is a cool name. Okay, uh, I think that's it for albums. 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, so usually this is the time where we would do a highlight of the week, show and tell, whatever you want to call it. But we are going to skip that segment so we can get to our post-show special Oscars debate segment after the review. So we're just going to get right into the reviews. Um, you right. want to start with one? Yeah, I think Parcels probably. Um, parcels, Parcels. Parcels self-titled. Parcels, Parcels. I like saying <laughs> the word titular. So Parcels titular album. It's because you got to say the word tit. No, it's titch. I don't know. Titch. Oh yeah, with a ch. Titch yeah, kind killer. of. Yeah, yeah. You can kind of. You can. You can do that. Uh, uh yeah. Uh, you want to kick it off? Anything special? Likes, dislikes? Yeah, sure. So this was actually my pick uh, for my personal <gasps> music library. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I really enjoy this album. I have no idea. We have not talked about it at all between today and last week. So I have no idea what you feel, but. Um, I really love this fake disco kind of 70s synth heavy uh, baseline. Pretty much all of it. I just really love right. this feel. It's a great, I think it can apply to any time of the year. You know, it's not just summer vibes or something, or not just listen to it when it's cold out, you know, that some songs do. But um, yeah, uh, I, I don't know where to start really. Well, uh, I I pretty much agree on all point. Like, it's a very groovy album, but it's not groovy in like a snarky puppy kind of way. It's groovy in a like this could be on like a uh, what's the term? Like a sports video game, like a FIFA. You know what I mean? Like, right. It's to me, it's a little bit of background noise, but it's really good background noise. I don't know that I'd ever seek out to listen to this just to listen to it. But I could definitely be doing literally anything and enjoy having this on in the background. Um, and I think one of the biggest reasons for that is like, I don't think any of the songs had any particular like great meaning or anything. I think it was mostly just like, it almost sounds like they went into a live session, recorded everything together, and like literally jammed until they got like a feeling. And so a lot of like the singing on this feels like it's just a singer harmonizing mm -hmm. as opposed to like writing lyrics and then like, you know. Basically, yeah, coming up with a poem to sing over, you know, it's like, no, no, no. He just went like, caught the groove, <laughs> right, 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 and then just started harmonizing with it. And I, I think it sounds really good, dope, and actually, it's surprising range for it too. So yeah, I was, I was pleasantly surprised. And yeah. I think the FIFA thing really was like, what? So I was like, what does this sound like? I feel like I've, and maybe I have heard it. Maybe they are on a FIFA soundtrack because I'm like. This sounds so like warm and familiar. That's and the I highest honor an indie band can get is being on a FIFA <laughs> soundtrack. Um, yeah, I just love, you know, obviously the funkiness of it, but I really like how, yes, they're a band, but they allow each other to be highlighted within songs. Does that make any sense to you? I, I feel as mm -hmm. though. Some songs, there was a song where it was just the vocals, pretty much. And there's a song where it's very synth-heavy and not a lot of guitar, or not a lot of rhythm guitar. Or there are some songs that they just sacrifice the drums completely. But I just really enjoy that because, as you brought up Snarky Puppy, just to talk about, it seemed like they couldn't let one person stand out. It was always, here's right. a solo going on, but hey, we have seven people, so two people are going to play behind that solo going on and that just right. felt a little more jumbled than this where it's just more straightforward um 
I want to say surface level, but de definitely in your face. There's there's almost nothing to peel back from this. The even the lyrics, I would say there were some songs that that were very intimate. Maybe I think it was uh, the song Tape. Tape. I felt it was very introspective, but that was about it. All the other songs were you know relationships. Um, you know, life, just normal life things, what they're doing right. in life, all that stuff. Mostly relationships, actually. There's a lot of love songs or, you know, about those, which isn't a huge problem. But I also want to point out, I know you may not have the same feeling, but this album really encapsulates a really good trip. <laughs> uh, just a really good trip. And... Its structure is very familiar. There are a lot of, a lot of albums that start off, um, you know, excitable in your face, trying to hook you, and then move on to the slowness and the more somber. But the way this album does it, I just can't pinpoint exactly what it is or exactly why I think this. Mm -hmm. But it just it nails it, absolutely nails it. Just the timing, even the middle, where. Um, they have that spot, or they have that spot in the song where he's talking to the bandmates about some like place in their mind yeah. that they go to. Even yeah. that specific track with the come ups and the come downs of that track just mirror it well, perfectly. That, yeah, that's like the most indie shit you can possibly do in a song is intro with like the live sesh actual conversation because the audio of the room just being recorded. Right. Um, Fuck, I can't remember the name of the band that I like that does that, but basically there was a dude from Ashland who went to Boyd County and started a band in Nashville, and they they were really small and they ended up breaking up, but they actually have some, they have, like, they have like three incredible songs. I was like blown away that these were that good, yeah, uh, and they have a couple songs that they do that. I'll, I'll find the name of it, but it's so, I'll link it to you, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's such an indie fucking thing to do. I don't know why it is, like... Man, we're so deep right now. We we're just high <laughs> enough that I don't I don't feel embarrassed to do this right now. The perfect amount of high. That's that's <laughs> yeah, the come that's down. What it is. Yeah, that's what it is. You know. Um, how about how about top tracks? Oh, top tracks. Uh, I really like tape. Um, with or without, I really like. You know, I really love this album as a whole. It's not you know the most musically genius album. Not anywhere close. But no. it's yeah, absolutely one of my favorites. Yeah, yeah it's really good. There's uh, just a lot of simplicity to it that's very easy to enjoy. Uh, what was... I knew I should have written down. I wrote tape and with or without you. I liked how Come Down kind of built this anticipation. I'm pretty sure Come Down's like the first mm -hmm. yeah. track. Yeah, number one. Yeah. yeah, I love that kind of anticipation because you're almost waiting for the song to start. But uh, hold on real quick. Let me look at this track list. Oh, yeah. Every Road, Your Fault, and Close to Why. I really like that chain of songs, those three, just back-to-back. -back. Hmm. Um, almost reminiscent of last week, where I was talking about those series of Kendrick songs that were just back-to-back, -back, where they yeah, almost okay. had their own theme within it, like almost a vignette of songs. Um, the classic uh, wedding, or happy happy birthday wedding funeral? Yes, from, uh, yes, or, exactly. Yeah. Almost like its own theme and story within this album. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, the classic trilogy, dude. Yeah. I think even Folklore from Taylor Swift had one of those. Uh, that, uh, was, Betty, you know, Betty, that was forever. August and Cardigan. 
which are also my three favorite songs from that album. That's how I mean. That's how I know. I, I like <laughs> the rule of threes plays very well in music, and especially when you listen to a full length album and you like need something that sticks in your mind. So as long as it has a shared theme or a shared you know meaning, especially if they're just tracks after one after another, it's good. Right. Um, uh, did you have some enough, top tracks? Yeah. Funnily enough, I didn't have that for this album. Mm-hmm. Maybe I wasn't listening to it too intentionally. This is actually the first week that I didn't get to listen to a full replay. Wow. I tried to re-listen to just the ones I didn't remember. Right. Um, and the ones I didn't remember, I didn't remember for good reason. So I ended up not liking them anymore. <laughs> I was like, oh, man, I kind of wish I'd listened to this. You need to listen to the whole album again. It's, um, I think that's the best but, experience. But for me, I think number one was come. Maybe number one was tape. Uh, but And then tied, but for different reasons, not in first, were come down. And um, I know how I feel. Mm, yeah, yeah. I really, really liked I Know How I Feel mm-hmm. once the singer came in. but It, it was takes like, a minute. Yeah, it's like five and a half minutes long. And it literally, I mean, I don't know that it's 60 seconds. It felt more like 120 seconds, but it took a while. Like, And it wasn't an awful buildup or anything, but I was just like, right. hmm, okay. So it's just like a fully instrumental track. And then it like kept going. I was like, okay, this has got to be a full instrumental track. And all of a sudden his singing came in. I was like, oh, please don't end. This is so good. Like it was so good. Um, and that was a song where I really went like, okay, yeah, he's like literally just harmonizing yeah. like, and it's great. I don't, I don't know care. what it is. I, I'm a sucker for a uh, male falsetto voice. I don't know what that is. You know, uh, everything, everything or yeah. this singer. I'm, I'm not, I can't, I don't have a list. I don't, you know, I don't have all the names, <laughs> but there's yeah. just something about it that I enjoy a lot, especially when it's got this synth heavy or not. I want to say exciting but you know just uh, a funk yeah just synth heavy funk i it's hard not to use those words when describing this album or what sounds like this album because right. well, that's, we're not trained musicians or anything i don't yeah, know that's shit about i know what things sound like and i go yeah this is really groovy this no. is really like funk inspired or jazz inspired no nah, we're uh, music experts dude music yeah, experts yeah. heard it here first that's what i meant to say, meant to say. Okay, uh, I you know I give this if we're gonna give it a score, I'd give it a, a nine or a fantastic out of ten. Really? Yeah. I, I'd give it as far as an album is concerned. It was pretty cohesive, but I, maybe like a seven five for me. Like it was totally good, totally reasonable, totally listenable. But it's not really the type of music I listen to. But it is type of music, like even like warming up for a soccer game, like you know, like when you're like. You're at a sports stadium about to watch a game, but, you know, they're on the field warming up or doing their thing or they're in their locker room still, and you're just like, all right, I'm going to go get my hot dog and beer or whatever. Like, this could be playing in the stadium, and I would be like, be what awesome. the fuck is this song? <laughs> what is this song? This is all awesome. Yeah, and, uh, like, that's exactly the vibe I caught. Um, although I did get, like you said, it, it didn't feel seasonal by any way, and that might just be, like, the drug affiliation of like, well, I could be high to this at any time. You really can. Me, it's like, really this is, good. This is, like, this is like late spring through late summer track. Like, it's got to be warm weather for me to be like enjoying this. I, I, um, I, I, really, I, yeah. I have to be thinking about warm. Like when I play FIFA, it could be snowing and 80 fucking degrees out right. or, you know, eight degrees out rather. Uh, and you're literally watching people play soccer like on a summer's day in fucking Spain. And you're like, oh man. <laughs> no wonder I can groove to this song right now. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I definitely would recommend pairing this with some sort of 
entertainment activity um you know thing to do i would definitely recommend that because it makes the album even better <laughs> but uh yeah that all i'd say then we've got uh, it technically came out last year right 2020 mank i think it uh, was 2020 and I'm going to forget his name, Fincher, right? David Fincher. And Jack Fincher wrote the screenplay, so I assume it's I some sort that. of relation. Yeah, I assume it's his brother. And I was going to ask you, is that like a Nolan situation? I don't on? recall. Maybe this whole time his brother <gasps> has been... Oh, Jack Fincher's his dad. Whoa. And his dad <laughs> died in 2003. Whoa, shit. That actually... He inherited this screenplay. Does that make the movie better somehow? Kind of. Yeah, right? That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, uh, and yeah. Uh, it turns out he also wrote a Howard Hughes biopic that eventually became The Aviator. Huh. <laughs> yeah. Huh. What the fuck? Wow. Okay. So I guess that explains David Fincher being a director and stuff. Knowing this stuff. But uh, you want to start? Uh, yeah, I mean, I can. Um, I'll just rip the bandit off and say, generally, it surprised me. Mm-hmm. It was good. Mm-hmm. But I still, I don't know, man. Once you decide, once whoever the person is, I don't know if it was his father, I don't know if it was him, goes, wait, this should be done in black and white. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> I set a threshold of, like, this needs to be excellent. In a lot of ways, it was. Like, there were a lot of really good aspects about this movie. And a million times, if Citizen Kane never came out, and they just decided to do a story about the real people like this did, it would have been way better. Can you imagine the people actually in the 30s slash 40s making the movie like this? Like, that would have been awesome. Right, but... Already Kane was so unconventional. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like to really like, cause I didn't realize when we were watching Citizen Kane, all the little nuanced political sides of things like with Upton Sinclair or anything. Yeah, I had no know. idea. You know, I don't know if that's our fault though. I, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not sure. it's probably our fault because I feel like most people who are snobs about movies typically are maybe not, maybe smart's the wrong word i don't want to give them too much credit but like really knowledgeable about things because they like to be pretentious about it and to be pretentious about it you have to actually know something so it seems like the type of people who would know random facts about random people and then be like oh what did you know that's actually a reference to this (laughs) (laughs) did you see the camel in the background that's actually because the owner uh had a 20 foot neck camel uh cool cool dude Anyway, I'm getting off topic. So, yeah, I, there's a lot of really interesting backstory that this created for me that almost makes me want to care about Citizen Kane. Right. All, but the fact that it doesn't just speaks to how not good being black and white is and how shitty I thought Citizen Kane was. Uh, and for those reasons, I'm like, you can make the plot as interesting as possible. You could actually have like really great scenes of one like a character being like the epitome of themselves like the best versions of their characters like that one you know kind of like final drunk scene at the house yeah amazing you know what i mean and that was basically what mank was the entire time just slowly building into it and so to have that like 
pinnacle scene of like, you know, uncomfortable drunken regret was dope. But at the same time, you had scenes like the, um, oh God, like at the uh, movie set where the lady's tied up on this banister and she's like, oh, can I get a cigarette? And like, they're, you're kind of first seeing how they really met. Honestly, that could have been, he could have met him at one of those parties. You know what I mean? Like his wife clearly dragged him to a bunch of formal events and stuff that he didn't really want to go to for his job. Like, you know, he went to the GOP convention when the other guy was going to be up in Sinclair. Like there was just like a lot of, it didn't feel like we were developing any parts of the plot. And for that reason, the movie became a little long in my opinion. Yeah. And uh, I just the movie yeah. felt every minute it was very right. definitely. I've definitely felt like I was watching every single second. There's no forgetting that one. Uh, and honestly, I think a color picture adds to the vibe and ambiance more than making a black and white. Making a black and white made me go, this movie's about the guy who did Citizen Kane. Instead of me being like completely immersed and not thinking it's a movie. You know right. what I mean? Well, the black and white seems to kind of um, make that, that line between homage and just copy-pasting. You know, it, the black and yeah. white's really not subtle. It, it's not subtle. Or the, as much as I enjoyed it, um, the little burn holes or whatever, the exposure <laughs> spots, whatever they're called in film reels, every time those popped up, I thought, oh, that's neat. But then it just made me think, oh, wait, they had to go in there, add that little art of a blind spot or a burn spot, put that in for two frames, and then right. be like, I mean, oh yeah, that's like where filter. it's at. You know what I mean? What was it? I said it's probably like a filter. You know, like uh, you process the whole video and like some algorithm goes like, okay, like every 1.25 times the end of the... I don't know, because it wasn't, it wasn't, there weren't that many of those, the big, huge right. holes I mean, yeah. there. So, I, I mean, I the second the thing started, I went, okay, it's shot on film, go figure. Right. So I'm like, okay, they decided to shoot on film. Okay, they decided to make it black and white. Okay, they decided to really go all out on the accents, which I thought the acting, I mean, I thought one, Gary Oldman did an incredible job. The acting job. was, I have Two, no complaints. Orson Welles. My only complaint with that was I felt like he looked a bit old. Hmm. He's supposed to be 24. Right. I, I he thought he... 39. You know, maybe maybe this is Orson Welles. Maybe I don't know him as a person or whatever his character. So you're not buddies? Yeah, you're not yeah. Buddies? I, I'm not buddy with, buddies with Orson. <laughs> when he yelled and was frustrated, that's where I felt the character kind of breaking. Was that just me? When, when he no. was very heated, especially yeah, uh, towards the end. The wall. Yeah, yeah it, it felt, I don't know, it, it felt out of character, even though I don't know Orson Welles at all or know what exactly he was like it just felt well i mean you only got to see him in like three scenes you saw him once when they called him on the phone he was looking into a mirror you saw him once when he was on the phone and it was like a cut two back and forth of him in bed and him on the phone and then you saw him when he actually arrived in person to see mank and get pissed off so i'm like they didn't give you much character development to work with you just assume you know everything about orson Welles' personality which is again another thing i hate about these fucking movies are a bit pretentious you know I, and I guess Upton Sinclair is large enough that at least people know or have heard about some of the things he's written and done. Right. Um, but even then, like, it was nice that they did it in a way that was tasteful. Like, he was giving a speech about, you know, progressive reform in the country and how, you know, 
eat the rich, etc. The normal leftist spiel. And it was just a nice little aside to introduce a character without being like, hey, by the way, like, I'm going to name a novel he wrote and good luck because it's not the fucking jungle. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, it's exactly that. I, I, I want to uh, turn the clock back to the beginning of this movie when the text intro hit and you know whatever i I actually felt it was a little it was kind of it was pretty efficient in what it was but then they hit us with a text outro at the end (laughs) it's they could have kept one or the other in my opinion they didn't have to do both but they did and i think i think this is one of the few movies especially because of the way uh that citizen kane was done Right, because the whole like newspaper themed and a lot of the scene transitions, and I think even the intro. Maybe I'm wrong, but it has like a whole like, uh, like text intro, but not like in a no. It had a text intro. It had a scrolling. I know, I know, but it was a scrolling. Right, it was like a. It was like you're reading a newsreel. Was like the whole gimmick, right? And a lot of the scene transitions done the same way. Um, and again, Orson Welles is so cool, (laughs) but like that's a whole different side point. But with this movie, they like went with all right, well, this is about a screenwriter. Like, we're going to go the screenwriter gimmick, and, like, our scene transitions are going to be a little typewriter, you know, exterior <laughs> movie theater day. And Listen, you're like, that was oh. cool five or six times, but when you right, did you know, it... it was every scene, bro. Yeah, when you it did it every scene. scene or every other scene, at least, it was, uh, I don't know, that whole motif got a little much. A little... Mm-hmm. wore thin. wore pretty thin. Uh, I will... So, oh, what? Well, I was just say it's almost sad to say, but I feel like the movie's biggest flaws were directorial decisions. Yeah, it's kind of weird for a Fincher movie. Exactly, that's like really weird to say because the screenplay was like near perfect for me. The dialogue was so real, and some of the scenes yeah. hurt how um, well put together the actual characters. You could tell, you could tell what the script said or was supposed to be saying. Especially, I would say, uh, the GOP scene, mm-hmm. when she says, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And he just keeps nodding his head. I could <laughs> right. almost read the script and could tell that was fantastic. But, right. um, yeah, well, and the same, it's like, weird. Uh, he's, like, over at the dude's house for the first time, and, you know, the uh, wife misspeaks, or, you know, whatever. I don't know if they're really married, but girlfriend, whatever, concubine. Yeah, Faye, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and she's, uh, you know, she realized she speaks out of turn, leaves the room, and his wife, like, gives him the go-ahead to go chase after her. One, knowing that, you know, he's, like, fucking, I mean, I shouldn't even say that he's, like, a horrible person. It was just a different time, and he's got a very unique relationship. You know what I mean? I don't think it was glamorizing his life in any way. She specifically said, the wife specifically said, platonic relationship or something and so it's almost it's kind of weird seeing a character that's so flawed and he's not fucking every woman i just i I feel that's such an easy way to present a bad character is just be like oh yeah he's a womanizer so he's terrible whereas this movie kind of yeah it hinted at that i guess you know with the amanda seafried character but it never explicitly went out of its way to show you all of it or let you know and it's good I think it, the whole thing is because it's supposed to be like, it's complicated. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, he's clearly not the model 
person that you want to live your life after but it's you know he's 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 not perfect but he's not completely uh what's the word i'm looking for man fuck not like irreparable but irredeemable um, yeah irredeemable works i um, guess fuck it yeah he's not irre- irredeemable so basically just like that scene as well he's like outside and they pull a little radio he offers her a flask and she pulls out her own little bottle like there's so much good like unique character decision making that you just went like wow like this is so well written and i understand why a lot of people really like this movie but for me i just went like this could have been about these people and you could have told me in a text outro that this dude wrote citizen kane and i would have been like oh cool like this movie didn't even feel like it was about citizen kane and only oh, direct no. decisions made it feel like it was about Citizen Kane. Does that make sense? So I'm like, the way it was every framed. time, yeah, yeah. And again, the black and white, the like, actually, even the sometimes like they would intentionally use like old vernacular. You know what I mean? Like they would use like little idioms and sayings Yikes. that like, yeah. Well, that one's a little bit less bad. But there was another point in that scene, actually, like maybe two to three minutes before that line is said where they said something and i was like i don't even know what they just said like i genuinely had no clue what it meant i was and it, it was just like some idiom you know what i mean right like oh he's off the wagon again but it wasn't he's off the wagon and i was just like i don't know what this means i'm not gonna look it up but it was nice because i didn't care it was just to help build immersion yeah and then they would take me out of it again i'm like Ugh. so oh i mean it was good but it had a lot of flaws Sadly, and again, it was just too long it, it, it felt Oh well, you know what? I'm not. Gonna, I'm not even going to argue the length. Actually, I'm just going to argue that it felt too conventional for its length. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It was just, I I kind of got the movie. You know, it didn't take long for the audience, such as myself, to just understand what this movie's trying to do. Even at the end, it was there's no real uh, innovation. I guess maybe the word. I don't know if it's the exact word I'm looking for. But there's nothing that really draws me to this compared to another movie that actually innovates. You know, um, this isn't going to be, hey, you need to watch Mank. It's going to be, hey, <laughs> did you care for Citizen Kane? Because <laughs> Mank's pretty good. Right. <laughs> you know, um, And I hate saying that because I think there's even uh, the character uh, Louis, Louis Mayer, the big executive, mm-hmm. the heartless executive. He says... Or he said, like, I pay for feeling, or I pay for emotion. Right. And I felt as though this movie was kind of devoid of both of those things. Yeah, it, There were glimmers of it. There were right. some, you know, uh, hints of emotion and actually getting some sort of development or some sort of introspective development, but I don't know. Well, it's I, it's I all think right. it suffers... In, it went in, in I know exactly what you're talking about because I felt this way about the suicide scene. Oh, so yep, yep. With the um, they already could have tied in so much emotion, and of course that may have happened in real life. I don't know whether it needed to be depicted or not. I don't know, but like the times where you could instantly see their regret about helping produce that commercial. You know what I mean? Like no one shared the sentiment. Not even the people producing the commercial. They were just like, this guy wants the commercial. He's like the head of the studio. He pays our bills. 
we're doing the thing he asked us to do because we work for him and we like money. <laughs> you right. know, like we need to work. And so everyone's like, yeah, let's fucking do the job. And as they're doing it, they're like, well, should we be doing this? We can stop at any time. You know what I mean? Like Mank could have fought the girl as she was leaving and, oh, I already did my exit to like really just go do this thing for him. Um, and instead of like pressing any of the little small mm. emotional decisions, they kept all of those small little emotional decisions, which helped build character and helped build emotion for the story. And then would add a scene that was devoid of any plot and solely emotion, which I felt the suicide scene was. Yeah. I didn't think that held any purpose outside of making me try to go, oh, man, fuck. And I really didn't even do that because I didn't care about his character. No offense. I was like, man, it's just like I get how shitty you might feel after doing something like that and basically throwing a whole election for the general good. But that wasn't the purpose of the movie. You right. know what I mean? It's almost as if, so, yeah, I, I think I, I, I get what you mean. It almost it sort of set up a, a fact, but not a relevant plot point. Just, oh, yeah. this happened. This might have happened. I, I don't know if it actually did, but hey, this happened. Move on. Kind of. Just whatever. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, and like, I assume yeah. it was to play to, you know, Mank's decision to write the screenplay, because obviously that was a flashback. Um, and, like, you know, how assisting in that election really shaped him and reformed him and made him decline certain different roles and why he became an outcast a bit. And I get it. But they didn't really make me feel that. What they made me feel was shitty like what Mank did. Mm -hmm. And then instead of making me like understand the steps to get there through those little scenes and making those little scenes slightly bigger and cutting down again on the time. Like I feel like there was a lot of just like you could have edited this movie better yeah. and it could have had more emotion. You know? Like I'm sure the shots were there. So I yeah, it just felt surprisingly weak for what was again such like a yeah, there's well a, made. I'm sure expensive, well acted, high budget, uh, great director. Trent movie. Reznor and Atticus Ross, I believe that's his name, oh, yeah. knocked it yep. out of the park. This score, fantastic. This score is absolutely amazing. Um, I, I can't stress that enough. How many of the songs where had me questioning? I was like, oh, Trent Reznor can he can do this? You know, I mean, he just I don't think he's ever displayed being able to do music exactly like this. Um, but he totally can. He totally does. He nails it all. It all sounds the time, but also brings kind of a flair to a lot of the scenes. Um, yeah. So it's like, there's a lot of good things about this movie, but when they're put together, it's just some, I don't know, not really mishmash, but just, I thought, <laughs> it's um, weird. It's weird because I, I don't know. I they they're as as a duo. They have like a bunch of good. No, no, musicals. no. I just, I just meant displaying like this talent specifically, making mm -hmm. music for this genre era. Gotcha. Yeah, they can make modern scores. They make amazing modern scores. But I had no idea they could just adapt that style or adapt their whatever how their creative process into something such as this. And well, because they also did Soul from last year too. And that's, I mean, it's pretty, yeah, it's a pretty jazzy movie and score. Huh. Really? Are you sure? <laughs> yeah, for, I'm certain. Wow. Uh, you know, I, I might need a factual check up on that in a bit. Uh, you can. I'll, I'll get my right jeans. Now. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. I'd give this movie maybe an eight, eight, five. Uh, there's. Yeah, confirm 2020 
Atticus Ross, musical scores, composed with Trent Reznor, Soul, Mank. Wow, that's incredible. Okay, they're apparently musical geniuses, all right? <laughs> they are, dude. <laughs> They've done so many. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. The Adam Winger Death Note, don't you like that? No, I don't. Oh, I thought you said you did. Maybe I'm crazy. The movie? The Netflix movie? Uh-huh. That's one of the worst movies. Bottom tier, like, garbage. Because they did that, too. For some reason, I hey, you said the score is not the problem. I don't think the score is the problem with that movie, so... They did Book of Eli. That was Adam Wingard who did Death Note. And then he got Kong vs. Godzilla. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> fuck or you, with the dragon TV executives or movie executives. Yeah. yeah, well, that's a Fincher movie. James Bond version. Uh, Mid-90s. Bird Box. Jesus Christ, these guys are busy. Uh, yeah, so uh, anyway. score. Um, I'm pretty sure. Oh God, and I even wrote it earlier. Now I'm gonna look like an idiot when I say something different. I'm pretty sure I said eight. Um, and yeah, I think an eight's a fair yeah, gesture, eight, at least eight five. Yeah, in relation to the other movies I've been watching recently and like compared to the other best picture nominees, basically. Um, frankly, I don't think we had a bad best picture movie outside of, you know, who, yeah, which yeah, we'll get know. yeah, we'll get there. Uh, I actually, you know what, before we move on to that, I had a little note, uh, that's about mm-hmm. David Fincher's direction style. And I do not have the math on me. I don't have the statistics. So this is kind of just a, I, I don't know, just a thought. It seems as though David Fincher, every single piece of set or scenery or anything, it feels as though you see the very ends of that scenery. You know, is that like if there's a scene in a hallway in another movie, it might just show you, oh, here's the character and the wall behind them or the door. But David Fincher, he's going to show you that whole hallway, you know, all the way down and the character is going to be somewhere there. And I... I don't know why it stood out to me in this movie, especially. I, I guess once I started thinking about it, it's almost like a, I don't know what they call it, uh, super liminal or liminal space. It's like space you don't spend time in or whatever. You know, it's passing away. It just gives off that vibe. Where it's just all these spaces that shouldn't be exactly a scene starter, but they are. Um, Actually, and yeah. you bring up your little point. I remembered a little point I have. There you go. So these guys. You know, like the point, they're literally newspaper slash movie production moguls, right? Like, they're the super rich, powerful people of the West, mm-hmm. or like of the Western United States, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, you know, it's those two industries. It's entertainment and, like, you know, information uh, in terms of film, and then it's entertainment in terms of reading, you know, and print media. Uh, and that dude's fucking house and life, which, you know, obviously Citizen Kane is a fictional telling of, but like, you know, if they really had a fucking zoo in their backyard and like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of acres of land that like on one of their properties, I'm curious. And of course, you know, Jeff Bezos is literally wealthier than God, but I'm like, (laughs) I'm like, can people buy land like that anymore? Like, does anyone own stuff like that? Or is it like, you know, I mean, in the United States, I'm saying, I'm sure in other countries where literally like the royal family has all the wealth, I'm sure that kind of shit exists. But like, 
or does Jeff Bezos or people, you know, like Oprah, is it just like there's no way to acquire that much single land in one space as an individual that you have to like buy a bunch of little, little, you know, oh, I just have a hundred acres here and a hundred acres in Rome and a hundred acres in Naples and, a, you know, like. I'm sure you can. Uh, I'm just not, I mean. I'm, I'm, and I'm thinking do what kind of like and do that kind of oh, thing. Oh, like, have a zoo? Have a house like that. Yeah, does someone have, you know, a fucking palace of Versailles? I don't know and, the like, legality. Able to pay for it. <laughs> yeah, the only person I've known in our time to have tried to build something like that went bankrupt doing it. And there's like a whole documentary on it. Right. Um, well, you know, I don't know. Back then, I guess the richer were just as rich. It, <laughs> Maybe richer. Yeah, it, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> right. But the, and the, there was fewer people. There was fewer like need for space or like warehouses and things the shipping industry wasn't what it is now like obviously energy was in way less demand they didn't have the technology that we just like i can see why we might be out of space in that sense but i was just like that's fucking like those dudes live like outside of la you know what i mean like even if he lived 50 miles outside of la which he didn't that dude had so much land. Right, right. I mean, in especially a area. especially that scene when he gets kicked out of the house and it zooms out and you just see the house. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's an accurate representation, but if it is, holy shit, <laughs> that's a house right there. That, I mean, yeah, that's sure. enough. Uh, <laughs> you would think. No, no, no. He tries to live modestly. Uh, yeah. Uh, closing thoughts on this. I don't know. Yeah. Like I said, eight, eight, five. Yeah, good, not great, held back by creative decisions. Not anything to do with what anyone outside of, like, you know, the director or the DP or the editor couldn't have done themselves and fixed. That was episode 26 of The Worst Critics. This week, we are going to watch Mortal Kombat and and listen to Lil Yachty's new mixtape that I totally forgot what it was called because I didn't write it down. Michigan Boat Boy. We are going to listen to Michigan Boat Boy. God, what a week we have. And (laughs) (laughs) that has been The Worst Critics. I'm Noah Davis. I'm John Pina. And you can actually check us out on Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. But we're out of here. We'll see you next week.